You're listening to a sermon from crckulaman.org. Can anyone tell me what the, the latest and greatest new thing is? The, the quirkiest new brilliant piece of technology or trend or fad or just something that's just completely out of the ordinary, completely new and novel and amazing. We've got a couple of techie people here. So not your phone, you're going to Google, I assume? Yeah. Good on you. That's what I did yesterday. So I've got a few stashed up my sleeve if no one has any answers. Gravity wave telescopes. In 25 words or less, what's that? Telescope that doesn't use light uses gravity waves. That sounds pretty, pretty novel. Okay. Okay, so it allows you to see further. It sounds like, um, yeah, useful technology. How are you going there, Bruce? Have you got something for us? There's always a new Apple product. What's the latest Apple product? I found an interesting one yesterday, uh, sort of in the, in the context of having been to the up-to-date art exhibition and the winning prize was this amazing metal-welded ballerina and I'd been having conversation with someone about that and ballet and things. And so, you know, you can actually get um, e-ballet slippers. So they're electronic ballet slippers that as the ballerina dances and does her ballet, it records the, the lines and the swirls and the movements that are made by these shoes and then converts them into art, effectively. So that's something a bit different, isn't it? Uh, there's paper aeroplanes made out of carbon fibre. I didn't really read the article enough to find out what on earth, why on earth you'd want a carbon fibre carbon fiber paper aeroplane, but clearly there's a reason for one, I guess. We live in a world, don't we, of, of celebrity and novelty and new things and new experiences and, and we're always on the lookout for something different, aren't we? But I think it's good to stay, take a step back from all of the, the amazing newness and the novelty out there and to celebrate the ordinary and the everyday. Celebrate the plain. <laughs> because... Our, our, our life is often really quite ordinary, isn't it? Hmm? I think when you, you read the Gospels, you could think that life with Jesus is only ever about the special and the miraculous and the amazing and the wow and the thrills and the chills and the goosebumps. Because you read the Gospels and that's quite a ride, isn't it? Okay, It's amazing stuff in there. I think a combination of our world culture that's always fascinated by the, the newest and the latest and the greatest, combined with being Pentecostals, all right, uh, means that we kind of sometimes are always wanting a new, bigger high, a new experience, a, a greater breakthrough, a bigger buzz. And we think that life should all be kind of a static spiritual newness constantly. And, and in this series, we do look at some pretty amazing stuff, don't we? Some, some stuff that is wow. Some amazing things that Jesus does and has authority over. But have you noticed how much of your life is just plain ordinary? Yeah? Uh, you need to eat. Ordinary. You need to shower. Ordinary. 
You need to work, pay the bills, clean your toilet, feed your cat, take the dog to the vet, pack lunch boxes, call the repairman. You need to wash your clothes, peg your clothes, fold your clothes, mow your lawn, get your car serviced, get your hair cut, buy the groceries and do your tax. It's all very ordinary. There's a lot of ordinary in this life, and, and it begs the question, is Jesus interested in that as well? Or is the Lord of heaven and earth only interested in theology and sin and demons and miracles and evangelism and supernatural healing? Jesus is one with authority. In this series, we've been looking at his authority over truth, over evil, over sin, over sickness. He's the divine human who speaks into all areas of our life, who has power in all areas of our life, who redeems and restores all areas of our life, including the very ordinary areas, the plain, the everyday aspects of our living. And, and Jesus guides and provides for very ordinary people who have very ordinary needs. Any ordinary people here today? Yep. Well, this is for you. Let's read Mark chapter 6, and then we're going to have a look at three of these very ordinary needs that Jesus has authority over. Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through to 44. The apostles gathered round Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognised them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus told them to make all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the, lo the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten that day was 5,000. You might think it's a little bit strange for me to talk about Jesus having authority over the ordinary in the context of such an amazing miracle, mightn't you? Uh, and the miracle that follows the one I just read is... Uh, Jesus walking on water. Yeah, that's, a, that's a pretty big miracle too, isn't it? Uh, so we can be tempted when we read these sorts of things to think that, that Jesus is only ever about or only ever interested in supernatural miracles and, and being on show and his, his, his power as creator being on display. Life with Jesus is an adventure. 
However, if your adventure with Jesus seems ordinary or common or everyday, then, then I want to say that's okay. That's okay. Because Jesus is interested in the ordinary as well. So I could have preached on this passage about Jesus' authority over his creation. Because he multiplies the bread and the fish, doesn't he? He calms oceans, he walks on water. But when we have a, a, a closer look at what's going on in these miracles, we see that the miracles are almost a bit of a byproduct of, his, of a desire that Jesus has to meet the everyday, ordinary needs of his people, his creation. And so these events, they're, they're certainly, they are grand and supernatural events, and there are some amazing spiritual truths that are drawn from them about Jesus' divinity and about his power. But what I want to say to you today is the Christian life is, is anchored in a physical world. We have physical needs in a physical world, and Jesus is interested in your everyday human needs, just as he also meets your spiritual needs and your emotional needs and all your other needs. So our first point today is Jesus has authority over ordinary people. Jesus provides for and guides ordinary people. If you have a look at who Jesus is ministering to in this miracle, you'll see that they were ordinary people. Who is it that he's ministering to? Who's he feeding? Who's come running after him, wanting to hear from him. And who does he end up performing the miracle for? What's the word there? Who is it? Commoners. Yep, commoners. All I think the NIV uses the word crowds. So refers to them as crowds. We often hear about crowds following Jesus in the Gospels. You have a read and you'll see the word crowds comes up a bit. And these crowds are basically peasants and farmers and fishermen. They're the poor, lower classes of society. They're the people of the land. Uh, they also included tax collectors. Now, the tax collectors were quite hated, weren't they, because they collaborated with the Roman authorities. The crowd could include prostitutes, people labelled as sinners by the religious powers. The crowd were mo mostly nameless, faceless people. They were the common people of Israel, in contrast to the very important Religious people or rich people. And they're the other people we see in the gospel. So we've got the crowd. And Jesus loves crowds. Jesus loves the crowds. And he seems to avoid the bigger city ministry and spends his time near the sea, near small villages and farm areas. Humble people, common people, ordinary people, everyday people. And, and when, I, when I hear that, when I read that, do you know what I do? give a sigh of relief, sigh of relief, because you know what? I feel like I fit in with those people. Hmm? Do you feel like you'd fit in with the crowd? You know, you, you've got no noticeable, amazing, unique, world-changing roles or gifts or talents. You earn a living in a very ordinary, plain way, just like so many other people in our society. You don't really have much of a voice your opinion isn't really of consequence to many people. You don't stand out. Perhaps you're struggling to make day-to-day -day ends meet. You work hard. You don't get ahead. No one notices you. You're just one of many people in the community. Part of the crowd. Living life the best you can. You're a simple country person. 
You can't even claim the fame of living in a big, exciting metropolitan city. You're just plain, simple, ordinary. I don't want to be rude, but I'm kind of seeing a room here of plain, ordinary people. (laughs) (laughs) Myself included. (laughs) Myself included. Well, look, here's what I want to say is good news. It's good news being common because Jesus has a soft spot for you. He has a soft spot for common people. He actually prioritizes you. Do you know that? He, he prefers ministering to you rather than big showy leaders and rich people and significant people and people who are always first and seem like they have it all together. He actually prefers you. So it's good to be ordinary. It's good to be common. I went to Melbourne last weekend and I got to see what some of the other churches are doing in Melbourne and they're doing some great things. But we can assume that cities are more important places, can't we? We we can assume that they're doing better ministry to more people and we can assume that churches in cities will thrive because they have more money and more resources and, and more people and that they're cutting edge and they have you know, schools and play centres and large buildings and many staff and lots of land. And we can think God must favour cities. God must favour the influential in our world. No. I see how God is favouring us. I see how God is favouring this church. We might not be rich in buildings and land, but we're rich in his presence. We're rich in love. We're rich in people. We're rich in service. We're rich in the word. We're rich in community. God is favouring us and we are rich where it really matters. That should make you smile. If you are ordinary, know that Jesus has a heart for you. He speaks into your life. He has authority over your ordinariness. And he has authority in your ordinariness. A bit of a reminder, authority, of course, means power. It means jurisdiction. It means rule, dominion. So he he rules or governs over you and in you the ordinary person. He has authority in your ordinariness. His kingdom is full of ordinary people just like you. And so here in Mark chapter 6, we see a snapshot of Jesus' heart for ordinary people. Mark 6, verse 33. Mark 6, 33. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. He has compassion on these crowds and he has compassion on you. And he will be your shepherd. How many times do we feel a bit like this crowd? Lost, alone, helpless, afraid. And we just need someone to take care of us. We need someone to protect us, to be there for us. Jesus has compassion on ordinary people. And I I really can't emphasize this enough. 
I really can't because, look, you know, don't, don't swallow our culture, this, this reality TV YouTuber make me a celebrity lie that our culture feeds on. Don't believe that plain ordinary things and plain ordinary people don't matter because if they matter to Jesus, then they matter. Full stop. Don't think that you have to get ahead and be the best to matter. You matter. You know, whatever you're going through right now matters. Whatever you need right now matters. Who you are matters. What you do matters. Jesus has a soft spot for you. Jesus provides and guides ordinary people who have ordinary needs. He has authority over you and authority over your needs. There are three needs that we can pull out of this passage here. And so the first one of these, these three needs that we're going to look at today is the need for direction and meaning in life. Direction and meaning in life. I'll read again, Mark 6, 34. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. We've got here our, our faceless crowd and they're a bit like a mob of sheep. They have no direction, they have no guidance, they're just running off after any sheep that seems to be going somewhere. Who here spent any length of time around sheep? Uh-huh. So you've got the image right there, haven't you? You'll know a, a sheep, one darts off in a certain direction and they all just bolt after that one sheep, don't they? Ooh, that sheep must know where to go. I'll follow that sheep. Uh, the rest just run after them. And, you know, if you're trying to direct a mob of sheep in a certain direction, like, like the sheep need to be very clearly and very firmly and very tightly guided in that direction, don't they? You need several dogs. You need at least one or two people on a motorbike, don't you? And you've kind of got to circle them the whole time and very firmly um, guide them in the right direction. So sheep need guidance. We need guidance. A little bit like sheep. A little bit like sheep. We need guidance. We need purpose. Uh, at my work, one of the, the big triggers for mental illness is lacking purpose and meaning in life. And it's interesting to see how the mental health field is really acknowledging the role that spiritual meaning and spiritual purpose has in our well-being. I'll read you a little extract here from the Psychology Today website. They sum it up quite nicely. They say, The need for purpose is one of the defining characteristics of human beings. Human beings crave purpose and suffer serious psychological difficulties when we don't have it. Purpose is a fundamental component of a fulfilling life. Do you, do you think that's true? It says, in recent weeks, newspapers in the UK have featured stories about a famous ex-professional soccer player, Paul Gazzoni, who has been struggling with alcoholism. Gazza, as he is known affectionately, was the most famous sports person of his generation in the 1990s. However, since the end of his career, he's been in and out of rehab, arrested for assaulting his wife, and in most recent headlines, found staggering through the lobby of a hotel, asking strangers to buy him a drink. One of his ex-teammates, Gary Linker, now a successful broadcaster, suggested recently that his real problem 
was, was that whereas he had found a new role in the media, Gaza had never found a new purpose to his life to replace his football career. Hopefully he can find some sort of goal, says, says Lineker. He needs a reason to want to get better. And the website says, this is a good example of what can happen when we don't make sense of, a sense of purpose in our lives. It makes us more vulnerable to boredom, anxiety, depression. And particularly if we have an addictive personality like Gaza, it can make us vulnerable to substance abuse. Alcohol or drugs are, of course, a way of alleviating psychological discord, but at the same time, they can be seen as a way of gaining a very basic sense of purpose to satisfy your addiction. The people need guidance. We need direction. We need boundaries. Otherwise, we run off in chaos. We run off in chaos like sheep, and, and we get lost, and we get hurt, and we do dumb things, and we get separated from what's good for us. And Jesus knows we need to be taught how to live as God's people, taught about what is good and right and how to live God's way. We need to be shown what God desires for his creation. And we need teachers and leaders who will give us good, wise, sound advice and guidance. And without uh, some direction, we become very aimless very quickly. It really doesn't take long. You know, we can, we can think we've got all the meaning and purpose and direction in our life. And as, as soon as we kind of step out of that, just for a moment, hey, you know, the wheels fall off. Hey, I don't know if you've experienced that, but it doesn't take long for the wheels to fall off. I think the biggest difficulty I, I find a lot of people have, and, and the more I spend time with people just talking and listening and, and um, caring for them and counselling them, the biggest difficulty I think people have is making decisions and understanding what God wants. Uh, I hear it. I hear it a lot. And, and Jesus wants us to have confidence in knowing what is good and right and how to make good decisions. Um, uh, he wants us to know what God's heart is in, in situations we face and in the world. Of course, this is why we meet together as church, isn't it? It's not just because like, we've got nothing better to do on a Sunday afternoon. I hope that's not why you're here. Is it? <laughs> yeah, nothing else to do today. I'll rock up to church. No, 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 no. This is why we meet together as church, to, to receive teaching about God, to receive guidance and direction and purpose and meaning. I can't, again, I can't emphasize how important this is. You, you don't skip regular brushing of your teeth because it, it takes effort or you've got something else to do. Do you? I hope you don't. Hey? No, you brush your teeth regularly, even if you're... I see someone looking around at a sibling, possibly. Eh? Yeah. Uh, you, you don't skip brushing your teeth just because you're tired or you've got something else to do, because you know how important it is. You know that regular brushing prevents holes and cavities, doesn't it? And a gathering as the church, like this, it prevents cavities. Don't wait until you've got like things that need removing or extracting before you rock up to church or the pastor. Come regularly, brush regularly, receive the word regularly, be encouraged regularly. That's why small groups and meeting with one another during the week for, for prayer or reading scripture together, that's why it's so important and beneficial. Again, you wouldn't just brush your teeth once a week, would you? Every day. Twice a day, three times a day maybe, if you're really, really good. No, just twice. 
Okay. All right. Thank you. For, yeah, twice. Um, Steve and I uh, met with um, a couple during the week to, to read scripture and, and share communion together and to pray together. And it was really beautiful. It was, it was simple. It was easy. Jesus was there. It was lovely. Try it. Grab someone afterwards and say, hey, come around to my place one night. Let's just read scripture together. It's good. Do it. Brush your teeth. Um, we're going to be setting. <laughs> we're going to be setting up small groups in the coming several months. I'm going to be plugging small groups, and I apologise now if I get really annoying about it. But it's really important that we get together, not just on Sundays, that we get together during the week. These small groups. This is where. Um, iron sharpens iron. This is where you will disciple other people and where other people will disciple you. This is where you will, you will gain that purpose and meaning and insight and wisdom for daily living. It's really important. So when I start saying, hey, who wants to be part? Say, yay, I do. Hey, yay, all right? So that, that's something we will be setting up. Um, receiving teaching from sermons or devotions or Bible study, it's, it's not just about acquiring knowledge. It's not just about, imp- it's not about impressing God. It's not about impressing others. It's about receiving direction and guidance for daily living from Jesus. And as a Christian, we should be wanting that. We should be going after it. If you call yourself a Christian, a.k.a. a follower of Jesus... And if you don't want to learn from him and base your life upon his teaching, then you're probably not yet a follower of Jesus. You're maybe a looker-honor of Jesus or an observer of Jesus or someone who's interested in Jesus. But if you are a Christian, then you're going to be hungering after teaching from Jesus, meaning from Jesus, guidance from Jesus, and you're going to be going after it. It's like the crowds. We should be wanting to run after him. What did those crowds do? They they saw where Jesus was. They dropped everything. They didn't even take their lunchbox with them. And they ran to get to where Jesus was. All of us have a need for guidance from Jesus. I say chase him down. Find him. Pursue him and he will meet your needs for purpose and meaning and direction. Run to church on Sundays, literally if you have to. Run to get in a small group. Run to meet up with each other during the week. Run to your Bible on a daily basis. Run, chase him. When you sit regularly under the teaching of Jesus, everyday things like making decisions will become easier. I I promise you. I make that promise to you. I mean, whoever wished making decisions was easier? Hmm? Whoever, have you ever wondered what God's will is? Allow Jesus to teach you. And then you'll know what is good and right. And, and, and you know, I'll say this, you, you won't then have to run to a time of prayer or to your Bible to discern because your whole life will be already soaked in his presence and soaked in his teaching, and you will, you will know his guidance very easily. You will know his voice. You will know his desires because every day he is teaching you. Jesus loves to teach you, and he does it out of compassion for you. He does it out of compassion for you. He does it so that your life has direction. 
and meaning and purpose. I mean, this is good stuff. Here's the second ordinary area of our life that Jesus has authority over. So the second ordinary thing he has authority over uh, is ordinary physical needs. And in this parable, it's, it's food. It's our hunger. It's a pretty famous miracle, this one, isn't it? It's getting late. The people are getting hungry. They haven't bought any food. The disciples want to send them out to try and buy food. Jesus, of course, has better plans. And, and we get the miracle of the loaves and fishes. Of course, there's many spiritual points we could gain from, draw from this one. But today, what I want to focus on is how Jesus has a desire to meet their ordinary physical need for food. He spent the whole day teaching them spiritual truths, revealing the heart of the Father, showing them what God's kingdom is like. And I, I, I love how he rounds off this day of spiritual teaching with a good feed. How good is that? This is who the Father is. I mean, this really is who your heavenly Father is. He, he is the one who will meet your daily needs. He is your God. He is your provider. He is your faithful one. He will sustain you. You know, see, you know, look, says Jesus, sit, have your tummies filled. Reminds me of Matthew 6, the, the passage talks about, you know, look at the birds, look at the flowers, they're provided for, you will be too, don't worry about what you'll eat or drink or wear. Your heavenly Father knows the things you need and he'll provide them. So God is not just about spiritual things. He is interested in the here and the now and the physical world and the people in it. And whatever your, your needs are today, your needs for finance or food or friends or whatever they are, he promises to provide for you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I'm sure we've, I, I'm, I'm guessing we've got a few testimonies here of God's provision for us in our, in our physical daily needs. Uh, Steve's got a, a quick testimony about how, how, how God's met, met our needs. I queued this one up earlier. But I'm opening the floor up to others. Have a thing. If you have a testimony, the mic will, revolt, ro will go. Yeah. yeah, so my scholarship was dead set not to go any further than August, but it got extended for five months. So it was quite a blessing. Found some other money somewhere. So. Yep. so God, God, yeah, God meets God meets our daily physical uh, physical needs. What about does anyone else have a testimony they like to share of how God ha has recently met your needs in some way, in some just everyday way? Yeah. Do you want to take that down to Alison? There's a few people here that already knew the story. My cat got injured, and through the blessing of the community that God has provided me, and through the blessing of um, the finances of the disability pension that he's also granted me, not only had I had the means to get him into Wagga to the vet, but I was also blessed with the finances to be able to afford the appointment and the medication. That's so good. So it's not just my physical needs. But those are my extended family as well. <laughs> that's good. Thanks, Alison. That's good. He is my second daddy. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Are there others? Do we have other testimonies of how God meets your needs? 
share them afterwards over a cuppa. <laughs> Anyone else? Okay. All right. Thanks. So God, God meets our, our very ordinary physical needs, doesn't he? Now, the third ordinary area that Jesus speaks into, and this one we're going to spend a little bit longer on because I think it's one of the most overlooked but one of the most important areas, and that's rest. And uh, I feel like I'm becoming quite an authority in this, in this area as I, I journey through this myself, but rest. So Mark chapter 6, verse 31 to 32. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. It was so busy. The, the disciples didn't even have time to eat. Is that ever you? You're so busy. You don't even have time to eat. That's right. I think sometimes we can think we're going to get to heaven and Jesus is going to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. You were so busy, you didn't even have time to eat on earth. I don't think he's going to say that. The disciples, the context of this is the disciples have just finished a really big, exciting, amazing time of ministry. Mark 6 verse 12. Uh, the disciples went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. I mean, what a time that must have been. I mean, that's just a very brief couple of sentences, but can you imagine being there, preaching, and people are receiving Jesus, and you're driving out demons, and you're anointing sick people, and they're getting healed, and you're praying, and you're prophesying. I mean, whoa, what a spiritual high they must have been on. Hey, they must have been pumped. And they go back to Jesus and they're, they're, they're giving him all the highlights and you can almost imagine them jumping up and down and talking loudly and interrupting each other with, oh no, but then this happened and then that happened and then this happened and then this demon went flying into this pig and all sorts of things. And, and, and they're talking quickly and they're interrupting one another and, and yet there's, there's still people, there's still more people coming. And, and they're still coming, aren't they, for healing and they're coming for ministry and they're, they're jostling around and it's busy. And what does Jesus say? What does he say? Does he say, oh, come on, let's get back to work. Let's finish healing everyone. Don't stop. People need you. Keep going. People to save. Ministry to be done. Because that's what we'd say, isn't it? Hey, We'd want the high and the power to keep on flowing, wouldn't we? But Jesus recognises something here that we, we struggle to recognise. And that's that we're not designed to operate in fifth gear continuously. God regularly prompts me in this area. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, naturally, I choose top gear. Gear five. All the way, down the highway. All right. I've had to learn how to choose the lower gears in my life the slower ones, and they're good too. You know, you actually see a lot more of what's happening in life <laughs> when you use the lower gears. And it's not all so blurry, is it? 
We're, we're not designed to perpetually, continually be ministering to others, be doing, be on the go in this, this heightened level of, of, of spiritual power or, or, or energy, are we? Because we'll burn out. We'll burn out. And so Jesus says, let's get away somewhere quiet and rest. You need to eat. Again, there's those physical needs that Jesus is interested in. You look tired. You've been working. You've been giving out. You need to recharge your batteries. Let's just stop for a while. Let's go somewhere where we can be still and silent. Jesus doesn't just give them permission to take time out. He actually tells them to. He tells them to. We think that rest is an optional extra if we have time. The point of rest is that you don't have time for it. That's why you need it. You make time for it. Rest is essential. As, a, as, a, as Christians, we, we make much of doctrines around tithing and worship and Bible reading and spiritual gifts and making disciples and sharing the gospel and being loving. But we don't talk so much about rest, do we? And, and I believe this is as much of a command of Jesus as everything else he said and did. So not only does he say to his disciples, come away and rest, Jesus practiced it regularly in his life too, didn't he? He, His life is our model. And you see, at the beginning of his ministry, where does he head? He heads into the desert, quietness, away from people. After the death of John the Baptist, before he chose the 12 disciples, after healing a leper in the Garden of Gethsemane before his death, he takes time out away from people in solitude to stop, to pray, to be with his father. I think if Jesus said to do it and if Jesus did it regularly and I think if it's recorded in the New Testament for for us to read, then it is very, very significant. But it's so ordinary, isn't it? Like, it's so ordinary. We ignore its significance. I I, I mean, I've I've been to to church workshops on on healing and on prophecy and on evangelism, but I've never been to one on rest. (laughs) Already had that thought, Rhonda. (laughs) It's coming, but but I have to learn how to not do everything and rest. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's just so ordinary, isn't it? But, but Jesus knows how important the ordinary is. John Otberg says, Hurry is not a disordered schedule. Hurry is a disordered heart. Hurry is not a disordered schedule. Hurry is a disordered heart. Hurry will bring chaos into your life, into your thoughts, into your will, into your emotion. Hurry makes us do many things badly. Hurry brings shallowness, anger, frustration, cynicism, anxiety, negativity, discouragement, discontentment. It has a physical impact on our brain chemistry when we're always under stress and busyness, when we're always on the go and never stopping. Neuroscientists have discovered how chronic stress and cortisol can damage the brain. A new study reconfirms the importance of maintaining healthy brain structure and connectivity by reducing chronic stress. Neuroscientists have found that chronic stress triggers long-term changes in brain structure and function. Anyone here want brain damage? I mean, uh, that's, that's what chronic go, go, go does for you. 
Hmm? I mean, you wouldn't think that, that smoking, you, you wouldn't go and smoke marijuana without thinking it possibly might damage your brain a bit, would you? You wouldn't go and drink, uh, uh, binge drink alcohol seven days a week and not think, oh, well, this could do some damage to my body. And, and it, it, but we, we binge drink hurry, don't we? Constantly. And, and we consume busyness like it's a drug, don't we? We don't stop to think the damage it's doing to us. What does Jesus say? What does Jesus say to you? Jesus says, come away. Come away by yourselves. Away from people, away from demands on you, away from your ordinary work. Rest should be about not achieving anything. No goals, no doing, no big lists, just quietness and and solitude and simplicity. And this might mean getting out of your house or getting your family out of your house. One of the two. Either will work. <laughs> it might mean going bush, going to a river, a paddock, a park, your backyard, a friend's house, a granny flat, a church building. Getting away. Jesus says, come away with, with me. Come away with me. So rest is not about um, binge-watching Netflix all day Saturday. It's not about going out and playing golf with your mates all day Saturday to rest. It's not about playing <coughs> Xbox all day to rest. It, it's not about going shopping all day. I'm a bit partial to that one. I love a good shop. Jesus says, come away with me. Our rest must include Jesus. It must allow us time to stop and listen to his still, small voice, confessing your needs and your brokenness, inviting him into those, spending time reading scripture out loud, chewing over scripture, journaling, drawing, singing, listening to music, doing stuff that stirs the spirit within you, walking, appreciating God's creation, asking him for guidance, praying in tongues, whatever it is that that recalibrates you. And what's the result? Well, I think most of the the physical and the the psychological and the spiritual things that hinder you today will be improved if you rest tomorrow. And that's another guarantee. Okay? So, I mean, if you were to right now, mentally, just in your head, if you were to think of the biggest physical issue you have right now, the biggest physical issue you have right now, or the biggest psychological or emotional issue that you have right now, or perhaps your greatest spiritual need that you have right now. If you think of one or all of those things, and I believe that if you take a day of rest with Jesus, you will see improvement in one of those areas. I think if you take two days, you'll probably see double the improvement. Three days, you know, you get the picture, don't you? Think about a bath full of water. Take the plug out, what happens? quickly drains of water, doesn't it? Imagine if you turned on the tap first, though, and then took the plug out. Assuming the tap's on enough, you know, the water's going to be leaving the bottom, but the bath's not going to drain, is it? The bath's going to stay full of water, isn't it? I mean, we, we could only pour out so much of our life without refilling it until we get empty, 
till we make that little gurgly, sucky noise <laughs> and keel over. We can only pour out so much. You've got to turn the tap on. Of course, who's the tap? Jesus. Jesus is the tap. There's no good filling your bath with food and drinks and work and sport and entertainment and medication. You need to fill it with living water. You need to turn on the tap and allow Jesus to fill your life. You'll be calmer, your mind will be clearer, you'll be less emotional, you won't react to life with so much anxiety or panic, or you might be more emotional. You'll have a softer heart to things that, that count and matter. Um, you know that, that hard, calloused heart we often get when we're far too busy. Jesus will soften you. You'll be more productive when you ter- return to your daily living or work. You'll do your job better and quicker. Uh, you'll, you'll be more sensitive to the voice and promptings of the Holy Spirit. You'll find it easier to make decisions. You'll operate in the gifts of the Spirit more freely. You'll be revitalized for your, your work, your parenting, your ministry, and you'll probably be a nicer person to be around. What stops us? What stops us from doing that? Good soak in a bath sounds like a good thing. What stops us from stopping? I think sometimes we think the world's going to stop if we do, don't we? I think if Jesus could take time out from ministering to those around him uh, to work and rest, but we think we can't because too many people are depending on us or there are too many things to do, I mean, do we think that we're more significant than Jesus? Do we think that Jesus can't handle things on our day off? I think next time you think, I can't possibly set aside an hour or even a day to be with Jesus, then I I think you should be saying, get behind me, Satan. You know what I mean? Like, come on. If your life is too busy for Jesus, it's, it's too busy. If your life is too busy for Jesus, it's too busy. Do you know rest is an act of humility? It's saying, I can't do it all. I'm not God. I release all of my doing to you, Lord. It's your world. Take care of it. Take care of me. Things might get in the way, mightn't they? If you read this story again when you get home, you'll see what happened when Jesus planned a little retreat with his disciples. The crowds came and found them, didn't didn't they? Um, but he felt compassion and, and so he began teaching them. Don't beat yourself up if, if you plan a day of rest or plan an hour of rest or whatever it is and stuff just happens to get in the way. Do what you need to do and then plan some more time out, okay? There's no ideal time. Things will always come up. Keep planning your time with Jesus. Um, I've got some great sheets here that if you need a bit of guidance on how to, feel free to take one of these. I'll give you some ideas on how to take a day out with Jesus. If a day is a bit too much of a step for you right now, then just choose something from here and and take an hour out. Just take something with Jesus. Pass it around and just feel free to take one if you want one. Jesus has authority over ordinary people. He has authority over your ordinary life. He has authority over your daily direction and your daily needs. He teaches you wisdom and he gives you purpose. He provides for your food, your finances and your friends. He's the one who tells you to come away with him and rest. And I think 
it, it could be helpful for you this week to stop and think, well, Jesus, how does your, ordinary, uh, your, your authority reach into my ordinary daily life? How do you, Jesus, teach me and guide me and give me meaning and purpose? When do I stop and take time out with Jesus? Because one key, as I just wrap up here now, one key aspect of authority is that Jesus has the power to see that what should happen will happen. And so if you're sitting here now thinking, yeah, I'm hearing you, Annette, but I just don't know how to see this stuff outworked in my life. I don't know quite how to have that day off or that hour off with Jesus. I don't quite know how to, how to see this, this daily provision happen for me or how to receive his meaning and guidance and, and purpose. Uh, and I, I, I want it, but I, I'm struggling to see how it will happen. But what I want to say to you is, is just bring that need to Jesus. His authority, his power, his influence in your life is enough to uh, release that upon your life and enough to make that happen. And so if you feel powerless to change, bring that to Jesus. And it's his power that will bring that change in your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are so interested in us as ordinary people and we thank you that you are interested in those ordinary everyday aspects of our life. And so Jesus, we, we, we commit and we, we offer our ordinary life to you, the everyday, the mundane, the, the daily things that we do. Lord Jesus, enter into those daily things and, and bring your teaching into our daily life. Bring meaning and guidance and direction into our daily life, Lord Jesus. For those, those physical needs that we have in our, our families or in our finances or whatever it is that's happening in our, our household, we bring them to you, to Jesus. We know that you are uh, interested in the everyday parts of our life. And Lord, um, we confess that we don't take enough time out often to rest and be still and to learn from you. And so, Father, we, um, we just offer ourselves to you and we just ask that your power would be at work in our life, bringing uh, the, the ability and the time and the space to take time out to be still and to come away with you and to learn from you and to be guided by you. So we just, um, yeah, we just consecrate our coming week to you. We offer it to you for your purposes and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, guys. You can go and get a cuppa.